Welcome to this week's edition of Worcester Talking News, brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment Service for the Blind, which includes anyone with a visual impairment who is unable to read a newspaper. We have the permission of the Worcester News and we're recording on Thursday the 26th of April and this time the sun is shining. Uh, Our engineer this week is John Plush and round the table with me is Judith Doherty and Sally Rowe. Uh, clerical work has been done by Janet Weaver and Hugh, Hugh Thomas and uh, Duncan Wynne, I think, is going to be doing some copying. May I extend a very warm welcome to any new listeners and hope you enjoy our offering. You will hear some interesting emergency and uh, useful telephone numbers, what's on in the local theatres, uh, we'll have obituaries towards the end and thought for the week, We'll open the birthday book and look at the past week's headlines, sunrise and sunset times. We'll then have stories of interest from the past week. The service is quite free to users. We are a registered charity. If, however, anyone does wish to make a donation, it can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, WYLDS, in Worcester, WR5 1DA and we do thank those of you who have sent uh, donations they are very much appreciated we do like to hear from you if you have any suggestions compliments or complaints and add a message in your wallet or leave one on the answer phone 01905 Seven six double seven double six. But please be aware, we're not here all the time, so be patient, and we'll we'll get back to you. I'm going to hand over to Judith now for the uh, uh, telephone numbers. Okay, thank you, Liz. Uh, yes, the telephone numbers here in Wilds Lane: o one nine o five seven six seven seven six six, Worcester Live: o one nine o five. Six double one four two seven, Malvern Theatres, o one six eight four, eight nine two two seven seven, Police Non Emergency one o one, Crime Stoppers, o eight hundred five double five one one one, Worcester Hub, o one nine o five seven six five. 765 Norbury Theatre 01905 770154 NHS Direct 111 Out of Hours Medical Assistance 0300 12332311 and that's from 6pm to 8pm and the Infirmary Museum O one nine oh five five four two three seven three. Thank you. And now um, Sally is going to tell us what's on in the local theatres. Thank you. Right. Well, starting in Malvern at the theatre, um, week beginning Tuesday the first of May, running till the fifth of May in the Forum Theatre is the Little Mermaid, a circus sensation. 
Um, that's on every evening and matinees on Thursday and Saturday. So at two o'clock and evenings at seven o'clock. Uh, then the following week, Wednesday the 2nd to Saturday the 5th of May in the Festival Theatre, sorry, the same week that is, is Monogamy, a new comedy by Torben Betts starring Janie D. And that's on in the evenings from 7.30 and matinees 2.30 on Thursdays and Saturdays. And then the Tuesday the 15th, of May to Saturday the 19th of May is This House which comes from the National Theatre uh, following sellout runs at the, in the West End this extraordinarily pr prescient play takes on a new importance in the current political climate are we in the midst of a political revolution can the country stay united then uh, something a little lighter on Sunday the 20th of May is Lee Mead on a 10-year anniversary tour, 7.30. Um, on Saturday the 19th of May at 7.45 is Posting Letters to the Moon, a romantic, funny and very touching portrait of life during the 1940s featuring readings of wartime letters between Oscar-nominated actress Celia Johnson and her explorer and writer husband Peter Fleming. Then on Sunday the 13th of May at 7.30 is a production of Puccini's Madame Butterfly. Um, this is the Opera and Ballet International introducing the celebrated soprano Maria Hee Jung Kim from the Korean National Opera. So that um, sums up what's on in Malvern. Uh, then moving to Worcester on Saturday the 28th of April is a Dark Side of the Wall, a tribute to Pink Floyd at the Swan Theatre. Uh, that's at 8 o'clock. Also at the Swan Theatre um, on Tuesday the 1st of May at 7.30 is One Woman, Sex and the City, a parody of Love, Friendship and Shoes, the ultimate girls' night out. Then on Thursday the 3rd of May at 7.30 is the Astaria String Quartet, like this, like that. Some pieces of classical music are really famous. Why? Because they've become synonymous with a product brand or they're used repeatedly in adverts and soundtracks. So a number of those are going to be featured in that concert in the Huntingdon Hall. Also in the Huntingdon Hall on Friday the 4th of May is Sari Shaw at 7.30 is the new undisputed female ri rising star of blues rock and her debut album, A Force of Nature, produced by the legendary Mike Vernon, hit number one in the UK and was the highest new entry on the UK official jazz and blues album chart. Then also at the Swan, the English Symphony Orchestra are coming and playing The Soldier's Tale and Appalachian Spring. So that's Friday the 4th of May at 7.30. And then on Saturday, the 5th of May, is a children's theatre, The Grass is Always Greener by Mark Klosky. And that is at 10.30 and 11.45. And then Saturday the 5th of May, a little bit later in the day, 
Alfie Moore getting away. In his latest stand-up tour, tour show, former detective Sergeant Alfie Moore and star of BBC Radio's comedy It's a Fair Cop takes you on a thrilling and interactive journey through the art and science of murder investigation. Then on Friday the 11th of May at the Huntingdon Hall at 7.30, Both Sides Now presents the Joni Mitchell songbook. Of all the leading lights of the West End, singer-songwriter movement Johnny, jo- Joni Mitchell remains its most influential figure, with a body of work running the gamut from folk to mainstream pop, right through to modern jazz and back again. Then on Friday the 11th of May, we have the Everly Brothers and Friends Tribute Show at the Swan Theatre at 7 o'clock. And Saturday the 12th of May at Huntingdon Hall, Simon Goodall and the Born Again Shadows. Then finally, another children's theatre on Sunday the 13th of May, Sarah and Duck's Big Top Birthday at 2 o'clock. Um, as seen on CBBS, and then finally on Monday the fourteenth of May, the Swan Theatre are having an auction night. It's free entry, viewing from seven o'clock, and the auction starts at eight o'clock. It's a fundraising auction of prizes and promise, promises with a superb selection of lots. Grab yourself a bargain or bid for that money can't buy experience. So that's a fundraiser. I think that is for the theatre itself. Well, there's there's a lot going on this next couple of weeks, isn't there? Tuesday the 15th of May at the Huntingdon Hall is Ritchie Parish Ritchie. Steve Ritchie, Al Parish and Rob Ritchie rock the UK folk scene. And then Friday the 18th of May at the Huntingdon Hall, an evening with Mark Stanway, ex-Magnum an intimate evening with the former long-time Magnum keyboard player. And then finally, um, Friday the 18th of May at the Swan Theatre is Tasha Lipa as Madonna. So that ro- rolls up the... Uh, ends, ends the amazing selection of things available in Worcester and Malvern. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Sally. Before we go over to um, the headlines, I'd just like to remind you all <clears throat> of the uh, library that we have here. Um, we do have a very extensive library of talking books, f- fiction, thrillers, romance, biographies, probably. Um, <clears throat> they are available in many formats, uh, tape, CD, or I think some on USB stick, but those are more limited. Uh, We can provide a list of the books in the library in large print, hard copy, tape or on USB stick. Please leave a message on the answer phone or put a note in your Talking News wallet. And now Judith will tell us the headlines this week. All right. Um, Yes, the headlines. First of all, part of a man's nose bitten off in brawl. End of the rainbow. Ex-MPs call to sack candidate. Food bank crisis. Drug dealer caught with a knife. And finally, someone will be seriously hurt. And the sunrise and sunset. 
The sunrise now is 5.49am and sunset is 8.24pm. Lovely. Mm, yes. Here's Sally with the first of the stories. A chunk of a man's nose was bitten off in a brawl outside a city church during a dinner for homeless people. A witness reported the horrific sight in the fight between homeless diners at Worcester Street Cafe. Three men have been released on bail after the fight at the cafe at Worcester Baptist Church in Sansom Walk. The victim was taken to hospital by ambulance after being treated at the scene at about 7.15pm. It is believed he is no longer in hospital. Now the future of the street cafe is in doubt. Reverend Darren Smith of the Baptist Church said, I can confirm the fight was between a number of individuals around the church premises, which was distressing for all who witnessed it. The cafe, which has run for the last month, is run by volunteers who serve hot meals to homeless people, Monday to Thursday in the church foyer. Three men aged 44, 26 and 33, all from Worcester, were arrested on suspicion of assault, GBH, and have been released on bail. Worcester Street Cafe refused to comment. Anyone who saw the incident should contact West Mercia Police on 101. A church which has existed for over 100 years will soon shut its doors for the last time due to lack of parking. The Rainbow Hill Centre, formerly the Rainbow Hill Baptist Church in Astwood Road, is closing down because of a shortage of parking in the area and has deterred groups from renting the building. The property will soon go up for sale. Reverend Rachel Spence, the centre's community worker and church pastor, said, The church building is closing, but the congregation will continue meeting. Time and time again we are not bringing in enough funding to make us viable for the future. It served the area very well for a number of years, but its location and lack of parking doesn't seem to serve us for the now or perceived future. Reverend Spence said groups tend to rent out local centres which have sufficient parking and easy access. She added, Where we are, we are not able to offer either of those things. We really feel for the groups that use the centre and we have been grateful for the time they have been using the building. Some groups have already moved out of the property, although others have been given until July to leave. The Worcester Model Railway Club, <coughs> the WMRC, is one of the organisations that has received the extra time. David Lawrence, age 66, secretary of the WMRC, said... We have got until July before they kick us out. We have been there for just over three years. We get together and talk about locomotives and railways. If anyone can help us out in any, with a, any way with a room for us to rent, and if they want to join us, they are more than welcome. Mr Lawrence added that his organisation had stopped building a model railway track that it had been working on for over three years. He said... As we were told we have got to get out, we stopped doing it. It's pointless. The WMRC, which has six members, meets in the centre on Tuesday and Friday every week. The building was originally built in 1881, 
and has always had links to the Baptist Church, according to Reverend Spence. All of the groups currently using the site have to leave the property before it can be put up for sale. It is currently owned by a trust belonging to the Baptist Union of Great Britain. Anyone who can help the WMRC should email david.lawrence55 at btinternet.com. Labour's newly selected parliamentary candidate for Worcester should be sacked already, says the party's former MP for the city, after a damning newspaper article which called her a fantasist who has been placed under 14 extended civil restraints orders by the High Court. An article in the Sunday Times said that Mandy Richards, Labour's new parliamentary candidate for Worcester, is, quote, banned from bringing court actions without a judge's permission after false and vexatious claims against MI5, MI6, the Metropolitan Police, the Army, Thameswater, her gas, electricity and broadband suppliers, Royal Mail, Hackney Council, her GP and the freeholder of her flat, end of quote. After the publication of the article, Mike Foster, who was Labour MP for Worcester from 1997 to 2010, tweeted, After this revelation, she cannot be Labour candidate for Worcester. Open goal for the Tories. The article claims that Miss Richards said the organisations in question placed her under surveillance, tampered with her car and bicycle, interfered with her mail, invaded her home or failed to protect her from attempts to poison her because of her political views. It added, the claims were dismissed as totally without merit and most of the defendants were granted restraint orders barring new claims. The Worcester constituency currently held by Conservative Robin Walker is seen as a marginal seat. Following the publication of the article, there were calls for Miss Richards to resign as candidate or be sacked by Labour. Former MP Mr Foster added on Twitter that Labour would be giving the Tories a free hit unless she resigns or is sacked. The Sunday Times article continued. Quote, Richards was a Labour candidate in the 2016 London Assembly election and also brought a High Court petition to challenge the result, alleging a conspiracy to cheat her involving the returning officer and Progress, Labour's centrist group. In a two-day hearing, she said state-sponsored organised crime in the case had the potential to trigger a major national public scandal and forced 13 witnesses, including her MP, the Shadow Home Secretary, and Diane Abbott to give evidence in person. Abbott said she was an obsessive whose claims about the election cannot be true. Dismissing Richard's claim, the election commissioner, John Bowers QC, said she had pursued conspiracy hypotheses that were totally unfounded. He also criticised her for not turning up to court on time. Her actions are estimated to have cost taxpayers £500,000 in court time and legal fees. 
the Worcester News contacted Miss Richards for a comment in response to the Sunday Times article, but she directed us to the Labour press office. However, nobody at the party's press office would provide a comment before the paper went to print. There is a follow-up story to that coming later. There does not appear to be any light at the end of the tunnel, a food bank manager has said, after figures revealed demand is at its highest in six years. A record number of people in Worcester are struggling to afford essentials, such as food and toiletries, due to low household income and benefit delays, but worse may be yet to come. This is the warning from Worcester Food Bank, which has revealed it handed out just over 6,100 three-day food parcels in the years 2017-18. to A third of these were needed to feed children. That's up 10% on the previous year and means demand for emergency food is at its highest since the charity opened its doors in 2012. Food bank manager Graham Lucas has called for a benefit system that catches people before they fall into crisis. Changes or delays to benefit payments and low household incomes are being pinpointed as the main reasons behind the rise. The number of referrals is expected to increase even further from October when the full rollout of universal credit reaches Worcester. The changes have already caused a spike in food bank dependency in many other parts of the country and some single people in Worcester have also encountered difficulties after voluntarily making the switch to universal credit ahead of the autumn rollout. Mr Lucas said, We don't want to be here forever, but there does not appear to be any light at the end of the tunnel, with demand for emergency food at a record high. It doesn't have to be this way. We need a benefit system that catches people before they fall into crisis and secure work which provides households with an income that, at the very least, enables them to cover the cost of essentials. Despite the bleak outlook, volunteers at the Lowesmore-based warehouse have been buoyed by the support of local people who have donated a record 71 tonnes of supplies to Food Bank in the past 12 months. Mr Lucas added, People's generosity never ceases to amaze us and is a constant encouragement. It has to be. It has put us in a much stronger position to deal with the inevitable rise in referrals following un- ref- universal credit, which will co- occur this autumn. But we really need that level of support to continue. A drug dealer is facing prison after he was caught with a knife in Worcester City Centre following a police chase when he tried to run from officers waiting for him at the railway station. Rory Allen was arrested in Farrier Street as part of Operation Blade after he was chased by police upon getting off a train at the city's Forgate Street railway station. He now faces a minimum seven-year jail sentence under third strike rules which stipulate longer prison terms for repeat offenders. The 30-year-old of Cemetery Road, Wensbury, appeared via video link from HMP Huell at Worcester Crown Court on Monday. He admitted being concerned in an offer to supply Class A drugs, cocaine and heroin between March the 11th and March the 14th this year, possession of a bladed article and possession of criminal property, £365, on March the 13th, the date of his arrest. 
Lal Amaras Singh, prosecuting, said Allen's previous convictions meant he falls foul of Section 110, sometimes referred to as the Third Strike Sentencing Guidelines which say a Crown Court should impose at least seven years jail time for a third-class A drug trafficking offence if certain conditions are met. Curtis Myrie, defending, applied for a pre-sentence report to be prepared by the probation service ready for the next hearing, but acknowledged that Allen falls foul of the minimum term provisions. Judge Tim Tyndall said he was not sure that a pre-sentence report would assist and added, the reality of the situation is the prescribed sentence is in seven years. However, he said he would allow the application to be made on the grounds that such a report would explore whether it was unjust to impose the minimum term. But he added, even if it's unjust to impose a seven-year minimum term, it's going to be, as as night follows day, a substantial term of immediate imprisonment. Mr Myrie said a pre-sentence report will assist in dealing with the defendant's circumstances at the time of the offending. Judge Tyndall, speaking to the defendant, said he made it absolutely clear that the pre-sentence report be limited to whether or not it was unjust to impose a seven-year minimum sentence. But he warned the defendant, there's no prospect whatsoever of anything other than a substantial custodial sentence, which I imagine is likely to be longer than his previous ones of four years and five years. The judge remanded him in custody until the next hearing on May the 14th, when he is scheduled to be sentenced. Calls are being made for urgent action to prevent crushes at a notorious city centre black spot after the latest collision caused gridlock and the traders say it's just a matter of time before someone is seriously injured. Worcestershire County Council has said it will carry out an investigation into the morning crash between a bus and an Audi at the junction of Sansom Street, Shaw Street and Forgate Street. The bus mounted the pavement and crashed through a railing barrier, taking down a Pelican Crossing Lights pillar. Emergency services were called at around 6.30am and the section of Sansom Street where the vehicle came to a halt was closed for two hours, causing misery for motorists as routes into the city were gridlocked. The bus and Audi were recovered but police officers were still directing vehicles round the crossroads three hours after the crash as the traffic lights were off. The incident is the latest in a string of crashes at the junction in recent years. In July 2016, firefighters had to cut a casualty free from the wreckage of a vehicle after a crash. And in January of the same year, four people were injured in a similar collision. In both of those incidents, vehicles went through the barriers 
and crashed through the window of A-Plan Insurance's office on the corner at the junction. After the latest accident, James Parker, branch manager of the insurance firm, said, This is the fourth accident I can remember in the last two years, three times before they have impacted our building. It is the nature of these crossroads, as there is no line of sight due to these buildings, which are all listed. I'm really concerned that someone will get seriously hurt in one of the crashes before action is taken. It almost feels like it is a matter of time. They are becoming more regular. Mr Parker added that a metal barrier to stop vehicles mounting pavements should be considered as the current barrier is purely to stop people walking into the road. Worcester News readers took to the social media accounts and website to also call for action. Laura Bailey Wharf said, How many more times will there be accidents at this junction and still no review? Laura Boker said, That's where I was crushed into, wrote off my car when someone jumped the red light. Luckily, I noticed them and slammed my brakes. Otherwise, it could have been so much worse. Shelley Givens added, This is the fourth crash this year alone. I live right on the corner of this junction. The crash was loud enough to wake me up. Mags Moore said, This junction is getting worse. A reader on the Worcester News website added, I hate to use the word lucky, but the fact that no pedestrians were waiting to cross is a stroke of luck. A spokesperson for Worcestershire County Council said, We are aware of the crash on Forgate Street and will be undertaking a full safety investigation into the site and circumstances. That concludes the headline stories for the week. And now we'll continue with the rest of the week's stories. Thank you, Sally. And uh, starting with some news about our own service here, um, we can now, you can now listen to the Worcester News from anywhere in the world. Worcester Talking Newspaper, a volunteer-run charity that brings the paper to blind residents, has launched a new podcast service. Traditionally, volunteers have read out the stories of this newspaper for Talking Newspaper Editions, recording at Colin Chance House in Wilds Lane. They used to be taped onto cassettes before the service went digital in 2010. <coughs> in recent years, listeners could hear recordings kept on memory sticks, but the service is again moving with the times and will now be available via the internet podcast downloads. The modernisation is the work of Beth Rabjohn, a volunteer who has, help, has been helping the service for her Duke of Edinburgh Silver Award. She said, I suggested that we try to update the, their previous system. We came up with the idea of creating podcasts, which are fantastic because they allow people from all over the world to listen to the recordings free, instantaneously via podcast provider apps. As a majority of people have a smartphone or access to Wi-Fi on a device, it makes it incredibly easy for the visually impaired or anyone that matter to listen to the Worcester News and they can be notified every week when a new recording is released. This looks to the future and aims to benefit as many po people in the community as possible. Volunteers recently visited the Mayor's Parlour at the Guildhall and met the Mayor of Worcester, Councillor Steve Mackay, to promote the service. 
The charity is run for the benefit of visually impaired members of the local community and relies on volunteers and voluntary donations. The easiest way to listen to the recordings is via the service's website, worcestertalkingnews.org.uk. Listeners can also access recordings on Player FM, a free app on Android's Play Store, or on the podcast app, free on the App Store. The chairman of the troubled Worcestershire Acute Hospitals NHS Trust has announced she is stepping down at the end of April. Cara Merrick, who lives in Worcester, was appointed to the post in September 2016. Her appointment followed the resignation of former chairman Harry Turner in March of that year. On taking up the role, Mrs Merrick, a chartered accountant, said she wanted to see the much-maligned Hospitals Trust rated outstanding by the Care Quality Commission over the next four years. However, the previous year, the CQC, had presented a damning report of the Trust's three acute hospitals, branding Worcestershire Royal Hospital as inadequate. The Trust remains in special measures. This week, Mrs Merrick said, while there is still a long way to go, I believe that the Trust has begun its improvement journey. Having laid the foundations, I feel the time is right for a new chairman to take over and lead the board in meeting the challenges ahead. Mark Yates, the current deputy chairman, will step up until a new chairman is appointed. Chief Executive Michelle McKay said, On behalf of the board and staff across our hospitals, I would like to thank... Carag for her inspiring leadership and her passion and commitment to local hospital services and the wider community of Worcestershire. I would also like to thank her personally for the support she has given me since I joined the Trust. We wish her all the very best for the future. I am also very grateful to Mark Yates for stepping up to the role of chairman while Carag's successor is appointed. In January, the CQC issued its latest report on the Trust, which did not change its overall inadequate rating, but found areas of improvement. Police were called after bus drivers were unable to reach certain stops in the city because of inconsiderate parking. Officers were called to Canterbury Road on Monday to ask drivers to move their vehicles. First group said the parked cars and vans blocked its buses from driving down the street for around 45 minutes. A 78-year-old woman of Lincoln Green said she waited at the bus stop at the junction between Canterbury Road and Liverpool Road for 30 minutes. She said the controller at Crowngate rang the police and got the parked vans removed. I was told by the controller that they were having trouble with vans on Canterbury Road. They were parked on both sides. People park on the road because of the houses. It's always been bad. The resident, who didn't want to be named, arrived at the bus stop at 3pm to wait for a bus. She had to wait until 3.30pm for a bus to visit a relative who lives opposite the city's Worcestershire Royal Hospital. She added staff at the hospital parked their cars at the top end of the road 
exacerbating traffic problems. Sarah East, Head of Operations at First Worcester, said, On Monday afternoon, our drivers could not access Canterbury Road for around 45 minutes due to vehicles blocking the junction from Newtown Road. We communicated the situation with customers at Crowngate bus station and reported the matter to the police who got the vehicles moved. We apologise for any inconvenience caused through this brief period of disruption, but the situation was out of our control, with us not being able to access Canterbury Road. I would like to thank the police for their assistance in dealing with this matter. PCSO Dawn Wallace of Battenhall and Nunnery Safer Neighbourhood Team added, The local policing team did attend Canterbury Road on Monday, April 23rd, due to a report from First that their buses could not get through. Police attended and observed inconsiderate parking, but this was rectified and drivers given words of advice. The Worcester News reported in 2015 that buses were stuck on the road because of double parking, leaving a terminally ill woman trapped in a traffic jam. Criminal defence lawyers could become extinct in Worcestershire, the Law Society has warned. The professional body which represents solicitors across England says there is a looming crisis over unveiling data which shows that 63% of criminal law solicitors in the country are aged over 50, with none under 35. There are now just a total of 41 criminal duty solicitors in Worcestershire and 26 of those are over the age of 50. In comparison, in the West Midlands, 42% of the 332 duty solicitors are over the age of 50. A person arrested on suspicion of wrongdoing has the right to ask for the local duty solicitor who can provide legal advice free of charge. They are available 24 hours a day and are independent of the police. The legal advice scheme was set up in the wake of a series of scandals in the late 1970s and early 1980s when a significant number of convictions were overturned due to police misconduct against suspects. Duty solicitors protect suspects against inappropriate treatment, but also the police from false allegations of mistreatment. Solicitor Mark Lester, who is founder of the Worcester-based firm Lister Brady, said, I've been a practising duty solicitor since the scheme came in. I've been warning about this for years. It's a ticking time bomb. The criminal justice system is not working. When they retire, no one is coming in to replace them. It's a combination of things, with young people put off by the workload, the 24-hour call-out and the fact legal fees have not gone up since 1999. Duty solicitors are so important, cases can be lost at police stations simply by underrepresented defendants not knowing what to do and missing things. The problem is now... Even if we had young people come in, they don't have the experience to take on serious cases. Jerry Vahi from Walden's Solicitors added, I do a lot of work in the West Midlands and it is less of a problem there. In Worcestershire, most of the solicitors you see are over 50. Law Society President Joe Egan added, Criminal justice is at the heart of a democratic society and duty solicitors ensure a fundamental part of the justice justice system is upheld. Access to independent expert legal advice is an important right which ensures fair access to justice. 
If a suspect cannot access free advice and representation, a fair trial would be jeopardised and cases could collapse. The Law Society is calling on the government to take action. Worcester recycles just over a third of its rubbish and the City Council wants that to rise to half. Currently, the proportion of all waste collected by Worcester City Council that is recycled is 37%. That's better than other urban district councils in the county. Redditch is at 31%, Wire Forest is at 33%. But it's some distance behind Bromsgrove and Witchhaven, who are close to the national average in the mid-40s. Sue Horobin, Head of Operations at Worcester City Council, the body which collects our waste, has ideas for improvements. She said, We are just measured on the recycling we collect from the curbside. The two household recycling centres in Worcester are run by the County Council and they recycle a lot. But that goes to the County Council's figures. When Sue spoke at Warndon Parish Council recently, it was apparent that many residents were confused as to what they could or could not put into their green bins. Sue said, If you're in doubt, then probably leave it out. Lots of people ask about black plastic. Because the sorting machines use reflection of light to work out what something is, black plastics show up. Sue wants people to look around the rest of their house for recyclables. Shampoo bottles, cleaning fluid bottles, including the trigger spray tops, the box of toothpaste, the toothpaste tube comes in, perfume bottles, even aerosols can all be recycled. Envelopes and cardboard packaging can also be put in the green bin, even when the see-through, even with the see-through window. Seven do's and don'ts. Rinse bottles and jars before recycling. Check labels and let's wasteless. Sorry, check labels or let's wasteless.com before binning something in case it can be recycled. Soiled cardboard like pizza boxes shouldn't be recycled. Flatten boxes to make card easier to sort. Shredded paper can be recycled. Just put it in a paper or cardboard container. Don't put foil in the green bin. Take it to the household recycling centres. Both steel and aluminium cans can be recycled in the green bin. Francois Hugard has chosen to retire from international duty as he looks at possibly playing out the rest of his career at Worcester Warriors. Director of Rugby Alan Solomons confirmed the scrum half's decision to end his South Africa career and said it was a major boost for the Viva Premiership outfit. The 30-year-old has scored five tries in 46 games for his country since making his debut against Italy in 2009. But Hugard was axed from the Springbok squad after their 57 naught drumming at the hands of New Zealand in September. His time away with South Africa has limited his availability for Worcester and he has arrived back at six ways nursing injuries after the last two rugby championship 
campaigns. Hugot has established himself as a firm favourite with Worcester's fans since his arrival at the club in February 2016. He was instrumental in guiding Warriors to safety in the past two seasons and highlighted his commitment to the club when he signed a new three-year deal last month. With his future at the club secured, Solomons said Hugard was now focusing his attentions on Worcester and completing a business course as he plans for life after rugby. It is a major boost for us that he has made the decision because it means he won't be going away for international duty, Solomons said. Francois had mentioned it, retiring from international rugby, that is, and that's his decision at the end of the day. He was contemplating focusing the rest of his career at Worcester. He is very happy here, and I know he was he is doing a business course as well, for life after rugby, which you have got to be prepared for. The club's honorary education officer, Lynette Cutting, assists all the players and does a great job. Hugart has made 29 showings for Worcester, but has not featured in almost two months due to an ankle injury. I think Francois has got to the stage in his career where he is very happy here. He loves the club and wants to play his rugby here, Solomon said. He will also have the opportunity to continue his studies. He will be very focused on Warriors, so it will be fantastic that he will be available for us at all times. I think that's a big positive going into next season. Solomons said Hugart has yet to return to train since hobbling off in Warriors' defeat at London Irish in late February. But he was optimistic about his chances of playing in Worcester's final home game of the season against Harlequins a week on Saturday, which starts at 3pm. I really am hopeful he will be available, Solomon said. The aim is he will be fully integrated into the training next week. Now Worcester City, Worcester City 3, Highgate United 0. Daring to dream, City fans. Just when the season looked like fizzling out, Worcester made the most of the solid base that has been present for months by weaving sporadic but decisive magic. In truth, there were only three moments of quality in what was a pretty dull watch, but each of them resulted in City goals as John Snape's men found the ruthless edge that had been missing all too often this season. It may well have arrived too late to matter, but given most hearts and heads had ruled out a top two finish, the determination not to wilt in the, heart of, in the heat of battle against Highgate was more than admirable. The win was more than warranted, even if the scoreline slightly flattered City. Highgate must be kicking themselves, though. Having spent some 20 minutes on the front foot, their own ill-discipline, moaning and indulgence in needless niggling fouls broke up their momentum at a time when City may have started to creak. It led to the rest of the first half petering out and Worcester came out with clear, composed minds for the second. Nathan Haywood released Jamie Smith down the left and Highgate, on the back of wading through a fixture backlog, simply could not stay with their runners. Smith's pullback found the perfectly timed run of Matt Byerly with who lashed inside Brad Catlow's near post just past the hour. 
United almost hit straight back when Rhys Hewitt escaped down the left to find bright spark George Curry in the middle to pelt the upright a minute later, but that was about it for their attacking endeavours. It was all smiles nine minutes later when a rapier break saw Dave Reynolds feed Alex Tompkinson, who quickly diverted into the hard-working Nick Turton to nudge his first City goal past Catlow. Seeing the recent recruit come good seemed to give everyone a lift, with the visitors resigned to their fate and another eye-catching team goal rounded off the scoring with eight minutes to play. Reynolds, who had endured a tough afternoon personally, rolled into Byerley, whose vision assisted a lovely ball into Tomkinson to beat Catlow at the near post from the left of the box. Highgate remained in pole position to follow champions Bromsgrove sporting out of the division, needing six points to see off the challenge of City. They now travel to an out-of-sorts sporting Calza tonight, before hosting a Shawbury United team seemingly doomed to relegation on Saturday. From there they tackle a double header against Coventry United on Monday April the 30th and Saturday May the 5th. Third placed Coles Hill Town, 7-0 wins, winners against Rock Bottom Rochester on Saturday, trial Highgate by a point with four to play. They need seven points to see off City, but must do it the hard way, with each of their remaining fixtures being on the road. Thursday's trip to Henal Town is followed by going to Coventry Sphinx on Saturday. The return from Rochester comes next on Tuesday, May the 1st, before journeying to Shawbury on Saturday, May the 5th. All, sat- all City can do is win their final three and hope. They round off their home campaign against Rochester tomorrow, 745 travelling to Corn on Saturday and then head to South Normanton Athletic on Saturday, May the 5th. Worcestershire's skipper, Joe Leach, said sloppy fielding cost them at Somerset, but he was also unhappy with how the game ended. The home seamers bowled them to an 83-run Specsavers County Championship Division Division 1 victory over, over Worcestershire with more than a day to spare at Taunton. Set 279 to win, the visitors were skittled for 195 by mid-afternoon with Lewis Gregory, 3 for 35, Tim Grunvold, 3 for 51 and Josh Davey, 2 for 49, doing most of the damage. Only Tom Fell, Josh Tung and Ed Barnard, who had earlier completed match figures of 11 for 89 with his seamers, offered much resistance, contributing 41, 34 and 45 not out, respectively. Somerset took 20 points from their opening match of the season, while Worcestershire had to be content with three from a second consecutive defeat. But Leach said of the ending, We felt Matt Renshaw had put a foot on the rope before throwing the ball in to run out Steve Steve McGoffin. As we lost by more than 80 runs, it probably wouldn't have made any difference. But there have been big last-wicket partnerships, and you never know. In the end, our fielding has cost us the game. 
I don't know how many catches we dropped, but it was too many. In both our opening games, we have had periods of control and I have no doubts about our ability to compete in Division 1 as the season progresses. With Somerset on 255 for 9 in their second innings, the second ball of the day saw Grunwald bowled with a full-length ball from Barnard, whose return of 6 for 37, like his match figures, was a career best. Soon, Somerset's seamers proved there was still plenty of assistance in a th- the third-day pitch. With only four on the board, county opener Darrell Mitchell, one, had his off and middle stumps removed by Gregory. It was 16 for two when Brett Dolivera fell LBW for five, pushing forward to Josh Davey and 25 for three as Gregory Inswinger pinned Joe Clark leg before seven. Fell and Travis head nine took the total to 58 before the latter flashed at a short wide ball from Grunewald and edged through to former Worcestershire wicketkeeper Steve Davis. At 6 for 4, Fell was helped when dropped by Marcus Truscothic at second slip off Grunwald, one of two chances spilled by the 42-year-old ex-England opener. It mattered little as George Rhodes was taken at third slip by Renshaw off Grunwald for a duck and just before lunch, Fell departed LBW to Gregory, having batted better than most for his 41. With the scoreboard reading 85 for 6 at the interval, Worcestershire were starting da- were staring down the barrel of a second defeat in as many championship games. They progressed to 103 in the afternoon session before Ben Cox 23 played a ball from Davy onto his stumps looking to withdraw the bat. Visiting skipper Leach could contribute only six before edging Grunwald to first slip where James Hildreth pouched a comfortable catch. Tang and the impressive Barnard added 43 for the ninth wicket before the former was caught and bowled by Craig Overton, mistiming a shot off the full face of the bat. It was all over at just before 3.30pm when last man McGoffin, 10, was run out by Renshaw's throw from the extra cover boundary after being called for a second run by Barnard. And that's our sports slot. Now a follow-up from one of the headline stories. Labour will hold a new selection process for the city's parliamentary candidate after newspaper reports claimed its nominee was a fantasist. The party's National Executive Committee decided that Mandy Richards displayed a lack of judgment by not disclosing potentially embarrassing information about her past. The candidate came under a barrage of criticism after a Sunday Times article exposed her as a fantasist who has been placed under 14 extended civil restraint orders by the High Court. 
MP Peter Dowd said Miss Richards had been suspended from the party on the Daily Politics show on Wednesday morning, although a Labour spokesman refused to confirm or deny this. Former Labour MP for Worcester Mike Foster said, I'm relieved that the NEC have taken the correct decision for Worcester and for Mandy herself. I think it's now time that lessons have to be learnt about the selection processes. With just over a week to go to the election, we have got to put this whole sorry saga behind us and concentrate on the next eight days and make sure the local council is returned safely to a Labour council. Ian Cragen, the chairman of Worcester Constituency Labour Party, confirmed that Miss Richards will not be the party's candidate in the next general election. He added, I'm satisfied that the NEC has agreed with my own view that failure to share information at selection is a serious breach. We are determined to give people in Worcester the choice of a first-rate Labour candidate at the next election and can now focus on that task. The Sunday Times reported Miss Richards had made false and vexatious claims, as we heard earlier, against several organisations. A series of conspiratorial tweets posted by Miss Richards were unearthed after the story broke. The contest will be rerun after a review of the selection process. Playing fields have sold for nearly three times the guide price at auction, but concerns over whether the land will be used for unsustainable development have already been raised. The the former playing field of St Mary's School in Battenhall Road went under the hammer at the Crown and Sandys in Ombersley on Tuesday. The guide price was 115000 but the 6.58-acre site sold for 330000 at a packed auction house. The Worcester News understands there was high interest in the site from potential buyers which drove up the price for the playing fields. The site features parking, a pavilion and a storage shed. The land was the first lot of a public auction through Andrew Grant. The company declined to confirm the name of the buyer. The city's mayor, Steve Mackay, who represents Battenhall, said he did not know who had purchased the land. However, he said, we will look at ways to preserve it against unsustainable development which might be contemplated in future. Councillor Mackay said constituents had already discussed the situation with him and a petition could be organised to stop any future development at the site that was deemed to be unsustainable. He said Battenhall Road was effectively a cul-de-sac with no shops or amenities and the concern from residents was that the site would become overdeveloped. The description on an advert for the site read... The site amounts to around 6.58 acres and incorporates a tarmac driveway, large grassed playing fields, tarmac parking area, a pavilion building providing changing and showering facilities and a separate storage shed. The playing field is situated off Battenhall Road in a residential area close to Worcester City Centre and well positioned for access to the M5. The site had been leased to the University of Worcester and at the end of the lease in August, university staff have been instructed to remove all non-fixed items belonging to the university from the pavilion and grounds store. The promotional material says 50% of the access to the site between the road and the gate and down the driveway 
is owned by the university. The land has been owned by the Order of St. Marie Madeleine Postel, who will receive 80% of any profit because the land was sold within two years. In May 2015, plans to build at nearby Middle Battenhall Farm were blocked by councillors, including County Councillor Pat Agar. A former editorial chief of the Worcester News and its sister titles has died at the age of 84. John Hardiman died at Warwick Hospital with his family around him on April the 19th. Mr Hardiman became editorial director of Barrow's newspapers in the 1980s, the forerunner of today's NewsQuest, which owns this newspaper. As editorial director, he sat on the board of directors overseeing the editorial direction of the Worcester Evening News and a dozen weeklies, including the Barrow's Journal. He served in this role until the 1990s. Mr Hardiman was elected president of the National Guild of Newspaper Editors in 1985 and was later appointed to the Press Council, the National Press Regulatory Body, before spending two years with the Newspaper Society in London. Born in rugby, he left school at 14 years old and despite his youth and lack of qualifications, son Simon said, he persuaded the editor of the Rugby Advertiser to give him a job. Contacts gave him the nickname Scoop, his son said. During this time, he began his involvement in the civic life of the town and sang in several choirs, including the Rugby Philharmonic Society. In his later career, he was involved in training the next generation of journalists as chairman of the body responsible for the introduction and running of the industry's national vocational qualifications. In his late 70s, during retirement, Mr Hardman gained a degree and then a master's in global history from the University of Warwick. Mr Hardman was married to Kathleen for more than 20 years, before later marrying Sheila, who he lived with in Pershaw and then in Borton-on-the-Hill before her death. John Hardiman is survived by his children Simon, Sarah, Jonathan, Joanna and Laura. More than 1,200 homes in Worcester have been left empty, raising questions over the endless pressure to build new houses. According to government figures, 1,274 houses were empty in the city in 2017, the highest in the county, with um, a similar number, 1,271 unfilled in Witchhaven and 1,041 in Malvern Hills. Despite that, Worcester City Council is pressing ahead with targets to build 261 new homes in Worcester per year <coughs> and the South Worcestershire Development Plan is for 1,314 per year in that area. In a bid to punish owners who leave properties empty, the Government is planning to increase the council tax premium local authorities can impose on long-term empty homes. <coughs> Worcester MP Robin Walker has spoken out in favour of the bill. He said, There is no silver bullet to fix our broken housing market. 
We need action on all fronts. There is a shortage of affordable housing in this country and in our city and tackling the issue of empty homes while also seeking to ensure that we respect the rights of property owners is part of the solution. Time and time again, local residents who feel locked out of buying their own home or who have spent too long on a housing association waiting list <coughs> have contacted me to express their anger and frustration. I completely understand that frustration, which is why I first called for action to be taken on this front in 2011. The changes introduced in 2013 had begun to make a difference as we saw vacant property figures fall. But it seems that momentum was not maintained after Labour and the Greens took over the running of Worcester City Council in 2016 and the number of homes left empty shot back up. Earlier this year, I challenged the City Council to do more to ensure the delivery of affordable homes after Worcester missed out on millions of pounds of potential funding from the government's new homes bonus. Now we are set to give local authorities another weapon in their armoury to help boost the supply of housing without encroaching on our green belt. I hope to see this bill attract support from all sides of the House and, if passed into law, I very much expect to see it used by the City Council to drive down this worrying rise in empty homes. In 2013, local authorities in England were allowed to charge a premium of up to 50% on long-term empty dwellings, that is, homes that have been unoccupied and substantially unfurnished for at least two years. The new bill would increase the premium's maximum level to 100%. Decisions on whether to apply a premium and the exact rates to be charged will remain a matter for individual local authorities. A parade led by a couple dressed at St, as St George and the Dragon marched through a city park. St George's Day was celebrated in Gulevelt Park with the fun including games, storytelling, duck racing, candy floss, first aid classes, a bouncy castle and music from Worcester's ukulele club and the fidgets. A sea of English flags were on show in the park as the patron saint of the country was celebrated ahead of his annual day. Paul Harding, owner of Discover History, and his fiancée, Helen Lee, dressed up as St George and the Dragon. Mr Harding said, St George is often forgotten about, but St Patrick and St David are celebrated by lots of people who aren't from those countries, and I think he should be more celebrated like that. I think the parade went really well. It was looking a bit quiet until just before the parade when a lot of people came out of the woodwork. The celebration here has got a lot more popular. I think this and the Scout Parade are the only two celebrations of St George. St George was a great warrior hero and Gulevelt Park was created by the City Council after the First World War to commemorate all the heroes of the war and of the Battle of Gulevelt in 1914. The Friends of Gulevelt Park organised the Bonanza alongside Discover History. The parade started at the main gate of the park before proceeding to the main part of the park. A school in Worcester needs the support of the public to win a national competition. Perrywood Primary has reached the final three in the UK Bananagrams Challenge, 
with a chance to claim a £1,000 prize. The school has run a Bananagrams club for the past three years. The game helped expand vocabulary and improve spelling. The 1,500 schools who took part in the challenge were invited to enter a competition telling the Bananagrams company what it meant to them, with Periwood entering a stop-motion animation film, which they directed and edited on their lunch breaks during the last week of term. The overall winner is determined via Facebook voting. The post that receives the most likes will be crowned Top Banana and win £1,000. The post is currently in second place to a school in Bolton. (coughs) A councillor has insisted that a closed swimming pool will not be turned into a homeless hostel. Instead, Sunson Walk Swimming Pool looks set to be a block of 76 YMCA accommodation units, 22 affordable homes and a business hub. Around 100 residents met at Worcester Baptist Church on Monday night to voice their concerns about the project. Lawson Cartwright, who has started a campaign against the development, said house prices in the area had plummeted since the project was announced. But County Councillor Joy Squires reassured residents that Sanctuary Housing (coughs) and the YMCA want to consult with those living nearby. At the meeting, Councillor Squires added, The City Council has no intention of using this as somewhere to place homeless people. That will not be happening. It is not a hostel for homeless people. It will be for single people in employment or in training or for self-employed who can't afford rents in the private market. Councillor Squires said she does not know what will happen to the residents who live at the current YMCA hostel in Henwick Road. Some people questioned where these people, who have been either homeless or at risk of homelessness, will go when the hostel closes which is due to happen by December 2019. Other residents hit out at the density of the project and said that it would create over 100 homes in an area already packed with houses. The demolition of the Sunson Walk site, which contains three different types of asbestos, is due to start in mid-August and end in mid-February, according to Councillor Squires. Neighbours raised safety concerns about the demolition, which is expected to cost between £1.3 and £1.9 million. The YMCA and Sanctuary Housing failed to attend the meeting despite invitations. Locals will receive letters within the next eight days explaining the different stages of the project. The council opted to sell the site to the YMCA and Sanctuary Housing in March. The Cathedral Ferry has returned to the river for the summer. The boat goes between Worcester Worcester Cathedral Riverbank and Chapter Meadows on Saturdays, Sundays and bank holidays. A team of nine ferrymen operate the service. It costs 40 pence to cross the river and proceeds proceeds go to local charities. 
with past recipients including St Richard's Hospice and Mag's Day Centre. The ferry service is restricted to the summer because of changing river levels and falling demand in the colder seasons. It operated daily for centuries until the late 1950s and was restarted in 1984. Parents have praised a city football club for people with disabilities as confidence-boosting for their children. The Worcestershire Disability Football Club, which formed in 2004, is now looking for new youngsters to boost reducing numbers at youth level. The club, which plays on the 3G football pitch at St John's University campus in Henwick Grove, has helped youngsters develop life skills. Kids from 6 up to 16 can be seen playing on a Sunday morning. Heather Sarek, whose six-year-old son Noah Sarek Garnus, joined the club for a few, a few weeks ago and said, It has helped already with self-esteem and coordination. It really gives him a confidence boost. Noah is under assessment for autism, has dyspraxia and other learning difficulties. He loves going to football. He wakes up on a Sunday and he gets really excited. It's the only thing on his mind. Peter Loder, whose son Thomas has attended the club for a few years and has autism and other learning difficulties, said, I have taken him to grounds across the country, so it is great that he gets the chance to play football himself. It helps with his confidence a lot and he loves going. It is good for him to have something fun to look forward to at the weekend. One time he scored a penalty and he took his shirt off and ran around the pitch waving it. Everyone found that hilarious. It's about giving him the confidence to do what his heroes do on TV. Derek Cunningham, MBE, founder of the club, said it started after an FA Football Association initiative called Ability Counts, which aimed to inspire people with disabilities to take up football. Myself and another parent decided to start this and we got to charter standard the next year and have been at that level ever since. We had 13 to 20 regulars and have built from there. Most of the people in that first group are still playing for the adult side. It is crucial for us to emphasise that this is a relaxed and informal environment. Whilst it might be a struggle at first, the skills of teamwork, to become more confident or even learning to take turns with things can help them in later life. It does not take them long to become part of the group. A sporting environment really helps develop a lot of skills. The best thing for us is seeing kids who have come here with little confidence develop their self-esteem. One person from a few years ago came to us and went, in, went into mainstream football after. We do have lower numbers than we did a few years ago and this has happened across the county. I do not have an answer for why that is. We welcome anybody. Whatever their disability is, we try to accommodate them and to make sure they can get involved. The club welcomes people with various difficulties, including autism and cerebral palsy. They would also like more coaches to help out at the club. They will hold an under-16 tournament on Sunday, May the 20th, with a team from Herefordshire and Shropshire joining them. <clears throat> 
A church has stopped hosting a street cafe due to fears that homeless people could use weapons, such as fire extinguishers, to attack each other. The Reverend Darren Smith said police officers advised him to stop allowing Worcester Street Cafe to use his church because it provided easy access to indoor weapons, such as fire extinguishers, tables and chairs. The concerns were raised after a chunk of a man's nose was bitten off in a brawl outside Worcester Baptist Church on Tuesday, April the 17th, which was a headline story earlier on. The fight took place around the time that the street cafe was at the site, although the organisation says none of its regular attendees were involved. Mr Smith said... <coughs> We were advised it was probably best not to continue hosting them. Indoors, we have chairs, tables and fire extinguishers, which means you have ready access to weapons. Outside, there's less of that around. Homeless campaigner Hugo Sugg now wants the head of the street cafe, Sharon Multani, to step down so someone sufficiently trained and experienced in homelessness can take over. However, Miss Multani has defended herself and says she believes Mr Sugg has a personal vendetta against her. She said, I didn't bite someone's nose off. A post on the Worcester Street Cafe Facebook page previously said the incident took place as the group was about to distribute food. It added, the fight was beyond the group's control and volunteers worked hard to defuse the situation. Two men from Worcester, <clears throat> aged 26 and 44, and another 33-year-old man of no fixed address were arrested for grievous bodily harm and have been bailed until the 16th of May. Witnesses can call 101, quoting incident 0608S of 17th of April. A roof terrace garden at a Worcester bar is now open, becoming the first in the city in recent years. The roof terrace at the Conservatory Bar and Kitchen in Friar Street opened at the weekend and is already proving a hit with customers, says manager Port Port Andy Portlock. We've had a good, positive reaction from everyone with plenty of people enjoying the sun, he told the Worcester News. We hope for, good, for more good weather over the summer so everyone can enjoy the roof terrace. The opening of the terrace means the Conservatory has got out of the starting blocks before Gourmet Burger and Cocktail Bar Hanbo, Hanboa, which has similar rooftop bar scheme in the pipeline with planning ongoing. As previously reported in the Worcester News, Hanboa is set to open its own rooftop garden in the city's Sansom Street by the end of this year, after planning permission was granted earlier. The scheme has been in the pipeline for some time, and now owners... Cropthorn Inns and Hostels are bringing the concept to fruition after receiving the go-ahead from Worcester City Council's planning department. Mr Portlock said he hopes the rooftop garden at the Conservatory will prove to be a popular sun trap, especially during the forthcoming Football World Cup in Russia. The roof terrace at the Conservatory seats about 50 people and features festoon lighting, plants suspended from brackets, new brickwork, extra fencing and eight tables. And that's the last of the news items. Um, I just have to bring you the obituaries. So for those who don't want to hear about those who've passed away recently, um, can just flick to the end. 
Um, these funerals have already taken place. Philip Charles Albert Beach passed away March 17th. Funeral service was on Tuesday, April the 24th. Donations for St Richard's Hospice can be sent to EJ Gummery and Son, 6870 Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR3, 7EU. David Howard, a local farmer, passed away 8th of April. His funeral service was April the 26th. Uh, donations to Birmingham Children's Hospital. Inquiries to George Crump and Son, 01905 Susan Hurl passed away April 15th. Her funeral service <coughs> was at Wire Forest uh, Crematorium on Friday the 27th. Donations for St Richard's Hospice can be sent to EJ Gummery and Son. Details as before. Joan Uden of Beverley passed away March 16th. Her funeral was on April the 27th. Donations for Dementia UK can be sent to EJ Gummery and Son. These funerals are still to take place. Olive May Lloyd passed away April 14th. The service uh, will be at Worcester Crematorium on Monday, April the 30th at 4pm. Donations for St Richard's Hospice. <clears throat> Care of Andrew Phillips. Funeral services, 54 to 56 Barbourne Road, Worcester, WR1 1JA. David Sandon, age 60, ex Worcester Cathedral, Chorister and Lloyd's Bank. Um, no date of when he passed, but his funeral service will be in Rochester Cathedral on April the 20th with donations for British Heart Foundation via Just Giving. Paul Etheridge passed away on March the 30th. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium, Monday, April the 30th at 1pm. Donations for St Richard's Hospice and First Lie Scout Group can be sent to Bedwardine Funeral Services 01905 748811 or left at church. Mary Elizabeth Keoff passed away March 25th. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium Monday, April 30th at 12.15pm. Donations for Arthritis UK can be left on plate or sent to EJ Gummery and Son. Details as before. Patricia Eileen Carpenter, Nate Arnold, passed away on April the 1st. Funeral service at St Stephen's Church, Droitwich Road in Worcester, Tuesday, May the 1st at 10am, followed by interment at Astwood Cemetery. Uh, donations for Stroke Association <coughs> and Cancer Research UK can be left in church or sent to E.J. Gumry and Son. Walter John Yates uh, passed away March 28th. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on May the 1st at 1pm. Donations for air ambulance can be left on the plate or sent to E.J. Gumry and Son. Edna Agnes Bayliss passed away March the 12th. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium, <clears throat> Wednesday the 2nd of May at 12.15pm. Donations for Midlands Air Ambulance can be left on the plate or sent to EJ Gumbrianson. Joan Hall uh, passed away April the 10th. Funeral service at St Clement's Church on Wednesday the 2nd of May at 10.45, followed by interment at St John's Cemetery. 
please feel free to wear blue clothing as this was Joan's favourite colour. Flowers can be sent to Bedwardine Funeral Services or donations to St Clement's Church. <clears throat> Thomas Stanley, known as Tan, Stan Jones, passed away March 27th. Funeral service is actually at St Peter's Church, Poic, on May the 2nd at 1pm, followed by interment at St John's Cemetery. Donations for Midlands Air Ambulance can be sent to Holland Funeral Service, 71 Barnards Green, Road, Mulvan, WR 14 3LS and their telephone is 01684 575 343. June Newman, who was ex-Sainsbury's, um, all relatives, friends and work colleagues and acquaintances are invited to attend the funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Monday, April the 30th at 2.30pm. And the family would like you to join them at Archdale 73 Club Blackpool. Blackpool, sorry. Um, Sally Wilkinson Riddle, née Elt of Beverley, passed away on April the 16th. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday the 3rd of May at 4pm. Donations for Multiple Sclerosis Society can be left on the plate or sent to E.J. Gumry and Son. Honour Webb near Garrett passed away March 21st. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday, May the 3rd at 3.15pm. Flowers can be sent to the Cooperative Funeral Care, 17 Lowesmore, Worcester, WR1, 2RS. Nigel Bayliss of Lower Broadheath uh, passed away April the 5th. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium, Friday the 4th of May at 3.15pm. Donations for the MS Society Worcester branch could be left on the plate or sent to E.J. Gumry and Son. Alan Tullett passed away March 23rd. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium, Friday the 4th of May at 10am. Donations for the British Lung Foundation can be left in the box or sent directly to the charity. And it's cooperative funeral service, details as before. Mickey G. Gardner, age 42, uh, doesn't say when he passed away. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium, Tuesday the 8th of May at 1pm. Donations for Swanswell may be left at the service or um, inquiries to Bedwardine Funeral Services. Joyce Evans, nay Butler, passed away March 31st. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday the 8th of May at 10.45am. Uh, donations for St Richard's Hospice can be left in the box or sent to Cooperative Funeral Care. Eileen Diane Burton, née Brace, passed away 31st of March. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday the 9th of May at 11.30am. Family flowers only. Donations for Acorns Children's Hospice can be uh, placed in the plate or sent to cooperative funeral care. Joan Hemsley passed away April the 5th. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium Wednesday the 9th of May at 2.30pm. Donations for Henwick Grange Nursing Home can be left at the service or sent to cooperative funeral care. Tom Fairman passed away the 7th of April. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday May 15th at 10am. 
Donations again for St Richard's Hospice. Terence John, known as Terry Price, veteran of Worcester Rugby Football Club, passed away April 17th. Funeral service at the Worcester Crematorium, Tuesday, May 15th at 11.30am. Donations for St Richard's Hospice um, can be left in the box or sent to E. Hill and Son Funeral Directors, WR101HZ. And Dennis Evans um, passed away April the 15th. Husband of Ina, um, Dennis and Ina actually were um, volunteers here at Worcester Talking News for some time. Funeral service May 22nd at 1.45 at Worcester Crematorium. Um, donations to Worcester Talking Newspaper and the RNLI. Inquiries to AV Band, uh, uh, St Nicholas Street, and 01905 Our thoughts and prayers do go out to all of those who have lost loved ones recently. Uh, and the thought for the day is taken from um, St John's Gospel, chapter 20, verses 26 to 29. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands, reach out to your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And that brings us to the end of this week's recording. We don't seem to have any birthdays, so no one to wish a happy birthday to. So it just remains for me, Elizabeth Hill, to thank John Plusher, engineer, Judith Doherty, Sally Rowe and Duncan Wynne for their contribution this week and to sign off, hoping you all have a good week. Goodbye. Bye.